All right. Before we get in the Word, I need to stand up just one more time. Just one more time. Just stand up one more time. One more time. It was, I, it was great to have my daughter Savannah and her husband Mason and Juju in the first service and my Graham Slam with me on this platform uh, this morning and Emmy's right over there with Daddy and it's a blessing. Uh, my kids know that I really am into corny dad jokes so I'm going to tell you one, all right? So what I want you to do is I want you to look at the person next to you and ask them this question important question. Do you know what kind of music the Easter Bunny loves? Look at them and ask them. Look at them. Come on. Do you know what kind of music the Easter Bunny loves? Come on, look at them, right? right? Now listen, you know what kind of music the Easter Bunny loves? Listen. Okay, now, those of you who ask the question, look at them with a big smile and say, you want to know? You want to know? All right. Look at them and say, do you really want to know? Okay. Now, if you're, if, how many of you are already giggling? It's, it's going to be the dumbest answer, but you're still almost like ready to laugh. That's the kind of person I am. So here's your answer. Okay, question again. Do you know what kind of music the Easter Bunny loves? Answer, hip-hop. Absolutely. It's hip-hop, right? How could it not be, right? It's total hip-hop. You may be seated. And while you're being seated, if you ever wanted to know how the Easter Bunny gets everywhere so fast, he takes the hairline to get there. That's how it gets there. So anyway, happy Easter, everybody. Resurrection Sunday. We are going to get into the Word this morning, and we're still in the Gospel of Luke. I want to talk to you this morning on this thought, Resurrection Someday. Now, every year we gather, we gather every week, but every year, we, and aren't you glad that we're not home locked up somewhere like we were last Easter? Oh, my goodness. So glad you're here today. And uh, each year we gather to declare the praises of him who came out of the grave, son of God in power. Jesus, our Savior, on Friday died for the sins of the world. He was buried in a rich man's tomb that Isaiah prophesied about 600 years before. They rolled a two-and-a-half-ton ton stone in front of the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. They sealed it with the seal of Rome and protected it with Roman guards. And those Roman guards stood as a sentry under penalty of death for desertion if they left to watch over the seal. Here's the thing. When Mary and her friends came early the, on, sun, on the first day of the week, why weren't the soldiers there? The dawning of a new day and the soldiers weren't there, the Seal was broken, the stone was rolled away, because early on Sunday morning, the dream of all dreams came true. The most unbelievable moment of moments occurred, and like the old song that we used to sing when I growing up in the Baptist church, up from the grave he arose. With a mighty, you ever hear it? With the mighty triumph of his foes. He arose, he arose, hallelujah. Christ arose. We're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and why we gather on the Lord's day to say he is risen. I want to talk to you about resurrection someday. A resurrection someday perspective. If we keep a resurrection someday perspective, we can have a hope that's unshakable. And this is what our heavenly father wants each of us to have an unshakable hope because we believe Jesus rose from the grave. Now, um, they're having church downstairs. Can you hear it? They're having church. Let's pray. Lord, we believe in the resurrection. We believe that Jesus is Lord of all. We believe that he is seated at your right hand, Son of God, in power. You're the majesty of all majesties. You're the King of heaven, Father. Hallowed be your name. And we proclaim your name today. 
Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that your son, Jesus, is Lord to your glory, Father, and we believe that. So we ask you to glorify your name today, glorify the name of your son today, for this truly is the day that you have made, and we would not have a day today lest you, by the Holy Spirit, empowered the body of Jesus of Nazareth to rise again. And may we all experience that same power of the resurrection today, maybe for the first time in our life, but may we experience it today and may we experience tomorrow, the next day, the next day, and every day, until that day, resurrection someday happens because it will happen. It will happen because Jesus said so. And Jesus, we believe your word. We believe you're standing in the center of your church among the blazing candlesticks, And we believe your word, though the mountains fall into the sea, your word will never pass away. And all God's people shouted, he is risen. From the back, shouted, he is risen. There we go. Let's go to Luke 24, the resurrection back in the day. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, this is interesting. The word in the Greek for rolled away is aero, which means to pick something up and take it to another location. That was a two and a half ton stone. It wasn't just moved back. It was picked up and put somewhere else, inexplicably. Rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, and say it with me, church, would you read it? Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Right? Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. We're going to talk about a couple points about the resurrection someday. Number one, the first res point is this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only sure anchor of hope that overcomes every hardship in life and death. Have you figured this out yet? This life is filled with ups and downs. How many of you like the ups? I love the ups. I love the ups, but there are downs, right? This world, our life, is filled with triumphs and tragedies. Sometimes we go through a tragedy that we didn't want to go through. We didn't want to be a part of, and it happened to us. As sons and daughters of the king of the kingdom, we are not exempt from the downs and the tragic We're not exempt from the rainstorms. The sun rises, but so does the rain. The rain comes. And until he comes again, there is an enemy in the world, and the last enemy, he's called the last enemy, it's called the last enemy by Paul, is death. Sorrow and pain in the New Jerusalem will flee away. In the New Jerusalem, the Father will wipe all tears from our eyes, and there will be no more mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. There will be no more, which means until then, there is. Thankfully, not all the time, but there is. And the reason we need to know what I'm about to say today is because when it's not sunny and when it's raining, when it's not triumph and it's tragic, when it's sorrowful, 
when it's painful and when we are going through M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, we need to know that there is an unshakable anchor of hope, not only for the good times but the hard times. And although that's not a great shouting point to realize that there are hard times, the hope of it all is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There are times just because we follow him. You know, in some ways, walking away from Jesus in some ways might make you more popular, might keep a certain group in your, in your company, might give you a raise and an increase. In some instances for a season, Walking away from the cross and walking away from your faithfulness might appear to give some comfort and take some of the heat off. Some of the heat is on our lives because we're walking with Jesus. I'll say it over here because I didn't name amen me. Some of the reason why the heat gets on in our life is because we're walking with Jesus. Because we follow him and only because we follow him. And the pathway and the pressure and the problems have been created because we're following Jesus. Do you know that in the past, God used to call people? I think he's still doing this, but I don't know if people are listening like they used to listen. There are people that used to hear God, and they'd get up in a, in a service and say, God's called me to go and serve in a foreign field, called me to go and preach, and he didn't make a promise that I'd be exempt from trouble, hardship, or even rescuing me from death. There are reasons why some parts of the world are growing exponentially faster regarding the kingdom of God, and it's because there have been people that have been willing to go and preach it without the promise of coming back, because they had an unshakable hope of something beyond this world, the resurrection of the dead. That's right. And Peter and Paul pointed to that anchor because the first followers during their lifetime were facing not metaphorical fiery trials, but real fire trials. So what was their anchor? What makes a Paul the apostle walk on forward and confess Jesus Christ at the highest cost of all, get beaten, left for dead, only to get up and move to the very next town and do the same thing without blinking? What made my roommate from college's wife, when she was 30, mid-30s, raise her hand in the last minutes of her life in a hospital bed, dying of cancer that she battled to her last breath, praising the name of Jesus? Because there is an anchor, there is a one anchor, one anchor that will get us not only through life, but even through death, and that's the hope of the resurrection because he lives he said, you will live also. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's what Peter wrote in the first letter he wrote. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. And that's the only reason we're saved. In his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living, meaning not dying, a living hope. How? through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We should not pack up our Easter message until next year. We need the resurrection message all year long, right? And into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, and never fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time right? He's talking about resurrection someday. And then he says, in all this, in all this, 
this you greatly rejoice. In all of your suffering, in all of your trials, this is what you rejoice in and rejoice in it greatly. Faith in the resurrection of Jesus. It's our shield if we have to go into the fiery furnace. It's our shield that will keep us when they're threatening that we're going to go through the fiery furnace. It's the shield that says, I'm going to be faithful no matter what. I'm going to preach. I'm going to live it no matter what because there's a resurrection someday. The Apostle Paul in his 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians describes the reason why the resurrection of Jesus is so important. He says in verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. We're wasting our time. Let's go try to win that 160 million Powerball down there on National Highway and get a couple six-packs and eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. Right? Your faith is futile if Christ didn't rise from the dead. You're still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And then he says this. If only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Why? Because if there isn't a next life, if there isn't a resurrection of the dead, why are we doing this? Why are we giving up instead of just letting our, let it all fly and do what you want and live totally for yourself? Declare yourself king and tell everybody else to get out of the way. Can all you can get and sit on the can. Right. You know why? Because what's it matter? But that's not the way it is. And if you're going around sacrificing your money and sacrificing your time and sacri- for something that's not even real, if Jesus isn't alive, the, we're fools. And we should be pitied. Paul could have been a great person in the eyes of the world. John the Baptist, Herod, said, Herod basically was said to him, hey, lay off my girlfriend and, and just preach the stuff that I want you to preach. I love to hear you. And I'm telling you, they will love you, John. They will love to hear you. Just lay off my girlfriend and just preach the stuff that will make this kingdom great again. But he was looking at another king and another kingdom that would be past the clown show. Future leaders of the LOH, we have to know that there's an anchor about the resurrection of Jesus we have to hold to. There might be a time that our church, in order for it to be strong in the future, will have to stand in a dimension of persecution that we've never known before because this country is hurtling itself away from the Jesus that used to be proclaimed in a greater dimension in this country. But then Paul says, but, Christ has risen from the dead. You know what that means? Every person's gonna stand in front of him and give account for everything in their life. And it's all in the file. And he told them in his trial in Jerusalem, brothers, I stand here today simply because of my faith in the resurrection of the dead. Why say that? Not to exclude this good news. In the midst of our trials, in the midst of the, of the challenge, in the midst of the walk uphill in a downhill world, in the midst of going upstream in a downstream world, 
The good news is that God wants to pour out plenty of victory in this time. God wants to give us plenty of blessings in this time. Come on, someone. God wants to give us plenty powerful encounters with him. Jesus still has good wine in the back that he brings out for his bride to take a full drink of and just celebrate and celebrate and celebrate together and receive the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Like Peter said in the midst of trial, you can have joy unspeakable and full of glory and the half is yet to be told. That's right. Peter said we can do that. And you and I can do that. So we say, Lord, hallelujah, because I believe this is coming to the LOH church. I believe this is coming to the people of God in America. I believe this is coming to the Western world again. Lord, pour out your blessings. Let the living water flow. Let the new wine come. Let times of refreshing come upon us from the presence of the Lord. Yeah. And Paul then points, wouldn't it be great to just live in constant revival until the coming of Jesus? Why not, huh? Why not? Constant revival until the coming of Jesus. Let's turn the switch on. Let's do it. Let's get filled with the Holy Spirit and quit leaking. Right? Come on. Let's do it. And then Paul said, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep in Christ. Tim, don't grieve over your dad going too soon at 62 like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so you can believe that God will bring your dad with Jesus when he comes back again. Come on now. According to the Lord's own word, read it with me out loud. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. We're not there yet. Stay with me, man. Stay with me. Ready? For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel. Come on, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left, what's going to happen? We're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, if you want to send me to the World Series, you have tickets for me, I'll go. But here's the one I want to be at, right here. I want to be at this one. I want to be at this one. First load. When he takes the first load, I want in it. I want in it. Resurrection point number two. Everyone is either moving toward the death of hope or the hope that death can't conquer. Jesus wants to intersect with each of us where hope is lost and raise it up again. That's what resurrection is about. That's what the Lord wants to do for you and for me today. If you're walking down long and lonely, lonesome road, if you've been living on I Don't Understand God Avenue, if you're on Where Did God Leave Me Street, this message is for you. Be of good cheer. Someone is walking with you even if you don't know who he is even if you've never met him before, or you thought he's left you. Verse 9 of 24, when they came back from the tomb, the women had gone there, the angel spoke, the stone was rolled away, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others, and it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. They said to those that watched him walk on the water and watched Peter as well, raise a little girl from the dead, raise Lazarus from the dead just probably a week or so prior to, to the crucifixion of Jesus, and she, they went to tell the apostles that, and they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. It didn't make any sense. 
There was no sense to say a man that was beaten like a dog and left to die on a tree is, was alive again. That makes no sense, right? Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away believing. It doesn't say that. It said he went away wondering. He didn't go away believing. He went away wondering to himself what had happened. I have been in seasons of my life as a believer. That's all I did. Went around wondering to myself because the GPS with God broke and recalculate was in some kind of a messed up thing like you're going through backwoods West Virginia and it can't find you. And I've preached that way before and you didn't know it. And God used me and I'd get in my car driving away going, I'm wondering. Peter had denied the Lord three times and the last time the Lord turned and looked him right in the face. Hey, it's one thing to sin in secret. It's one thing to fall in secret. It's another thing when the Lord looks right at you. And it's another thing to do that right after revival when you told the whole youth group, if everybody else backslid, you wouldn't. It's another thing when you're the home group leader or you're the campus leader, right? Peter was the big guy. And it said he wept bitterly. And he was so filled with self-doubt and Satan was winnowing his soul like, a, like he was tossed on the stormy sea of failure. He had made great promises. He actually believed that when Jesus said he was the rock, that meant he was unshakable. But he found himself to be very fragile. And he realized that he bailed before everyone else bailed. And his regrets and guilt pushed him back from the spark of hope that seeing the empty grave clothes was meant to bring him. He had so much guilt and regret. Have you ever? And then you add Satan's voice to it. And resurrection can't even give you a born again second chance hope. And that's where Simon was. But you know what? Within 24 hours of him wandering about what that meant, fighting his own guilt, he had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, the risen Christ. And that's what God, I believe, wants to do for you today and me. Here's another resurrection intersection. Two others, they're hope, hopeless. They've been to Jerusalem. Their God died on a cross, and they're walking seven miles to nowhere, Emmaus. Why, what's it matter where you go now? And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, verse 16, but they were kept from recognizing him. And friend, that wasn't the devil. You can say it more accurately like this. Here were these people, their hearts were crushed, God was dead in their eyes, and God kept them from seeing Jesus. But he's walking with them. And then he asks them this question, and I can just see Cleopas's face. I can see the eye roll. He says, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stand still, their faces downcast. Cleopas looks and says, I can imagine, can you picture the tone? Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened these days? It's like saying, do you have a clue? Do you not know about the things that have happened these days? And then this person that's walking with them says, what things? Come on now. What things? Who is it? 
It's him. What things? Why is he doing that? I ask myself this, I ask you this. What things are blocking the eyes of your faith so that a day where God is trying to birth hope in you can't be seen? Did something seemingly end? Did something happen that's defining your future in a way God has not? Simply because the way you see it or don't see it, feel it, or don't feel it? Someone walking near you is someone bigger than your view of you and your view of what was. Someone who sees all things through a resurrection lens and has joined your path. Something of a greater happening than what happened to you that's defined you or defined God to you that's caused you to lose hope in yourself and hope in God because it seems like it's dead, never to rise again. What things, he asks. And they say about Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't say it, but he probably should have just said, who's he? And they say, he was... Man, when he was around, he was, he was, but now he was like he's not here anymore. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God, and then people got in the way and stopped God. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And then they say this, this is interesting to me, then they add this, and what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. And, 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 he, and, and they don't know he knows this, but they've been walking with the Lord, and he kept talking about this third day thing, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale, just like he was, it'll be three days, three day, in three days I'll raise the temple up, and they didn't know exactly what he meant, but in three days, and they said it's the third day. In other words, it's like we know it's Easter, I came to church today. It's Easter. I mean, I know I'm in a Holy Ghost-filled church. I mean, I believe it all. I really do. I know it's the age of the Holy Spirit, and I believe the Bible. And you told us, Pastor Tim, a few weeks ago that the book of Acts has no formal ending, so we're in the age of the Spirit. And I've felt God in my life before, and I've prayed prayers before, and I've walked for a little while with God before, and things went good. And He's answered me before, but... And then in addition to that, verse 22, some of our women, our women, amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. And let us tell you about these women. Uh, I know you don't know because you don't know what's going on around here. I don't know who you are. But there were these women that walked with Jesus, and they were like radically uh, believing Jesus. And, you know, they always had, I mean, one of them used to have seven, she's a little tilted, but Jesus has touched her. But, you know, they go out in that I see visions of angels stuff. And they came back and said they saw a vision of angels. And then uh, our companions went to the tomb, and, and, and it was just like they said it was empty. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's why I haven't jumped in. They didn't see Jesus. In other words, it was a really good story. It's a story I really want to believe. 
I mean, I'll be willing to walk away from the stuff that's got a hold of me. I really will. I have a hope that's tempting me to jump in, but I'm very vulnerable and I can't put myself out there at risk because after all, they did not see Jesus. And sir, with all due respect to whoever you are walking with us and you have encouraged us for the last couple of miles, but you're not him either. Hmm. Now, wouldn't you, if you were Jesus, think right at that moment he'd do for them what he did for Mary, who thought Jesus was a gardener with all hope gone, and he just said, Mary. And then she went, teacher, right? And then she went right in the way. Wouldn't you think that Jesus right then, because doesn't he want to help us? Doesn't he care? He does care, and he's right there. And you know what? He doesn't tell them anything to open their eyes. He just keeps walking with them. He didn't help them. He just kept walking with them. But they didn't want him. They wanted Jesus. They didn't want him. They wanted Jesus. He was encouraging them and all, pointing to the things that Jesus would say, but he wasn't him, so... And then they stop at an inn, and it's, if you read it, it says, and he acted like he was just going to keep walking. Does that sound like love when you're really struggling? See you guys. See ya. And they had to invite him to go into the inn with them. What if they wouldn't have? Well, if it's going to be God's going to do whatever. No, God was going to walk. Hey, stay with us. The night's falling, you think? I mean, more than just the, the light. The night's falling on me, man. Please stay. You're not Jesus. You're not Stephen Furtick. You're not. So, I mean, I, Joyce isn't on as much anymore, but you'll do. At least you got some Bible. Please. When you're on that road in hopelessness, keep inviting Jesus to stay. He sits down with them. He takes bread and breaks it. I don't know if Cleopas took it and started chomping. And right when he's chomping, he reveals himself to them. He reveals himself to them in the breaking of the bread. And then, and then, he disappears. Finally, did you see it? He left. Why would you leave? You just stirred up my hope again, and then you're gone. But what did they do? In a flash. They had walked seven miles. In a flash, they're up. It's night. And they beat a path seven miles back to Jerusalem with a completely different lens about what took place there in tragedy. Hmm. Verse 33, they got up and returned at once. Here's my question. Did they leave a tip? Seriously, right? I mean, they were in an inn. They started to eat. I don't know. It doesn't say. Luke always gives us details, and he doesn't tell us that. I have a feeling they forgot. They probably got three and a half miles in. that. We forgot to leave a tip. We'll go back. We'll go back later, right? And they find the 11, verse 34, and they say, it's true. The Lord has risen. And watch this. And he's appeared to Simon. 
That's how good he is. You know what Jesus loves to do? He likes to find the people that feel like they've sinned their grace away, sinned their destiny away, that, everybody, that they know that they can't be the person they weren't once were, and he likes to come and prove you wrong. He likes to just put the mercy train out and say, here's this. Then the two told what happened to them and how Jesus was recognized. Ready? I want to talk about this. I want to drill in here. Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Listen, when you're on an Emmaus Road part of this faith, don't check out of church. When you're on I don't know where God went street and Jesus isn't showing up like, don't check out of church, don't check out of life group, don't check out of Celebrate Recovery, don't check out of the move, don't check out of the dorm Bible study, right? It's easy. That's when you're like, what's the point, right? Isn't that when you're like, and you, I mean, I can't lead worship now. I'm Simon Peter. That's when you need. Because Jesus Here's what you do. Don't check out of church. Don't check out of Celebrate Recovery. Don't check out, check out of the move. Don't check out of your life group. Check in. You know what my family always does when we go on vacation? They say check in times at four. We're the kind of folks that called about the night before and say, hey, is there any chance we can get in at 9 a.m.? Because we special people. Can we get in at 11? How about 11? Can we get in at, can we get in at 355? We, we were down in the, the Smokies, and they had an automated thing on the door, and you had to punch the buttons, and you weren't getting in early, so we didn't believe them. So Deb's up there pushing the buttons, 20 more minutes to go. How about 18? And then we didn't think, we, we thought we'd mess it up, we'd be able to get in. They, you know, if I'd have been working there, I'd have said, you guys have just blown your vacation. No, I didn't do that. Anyway, check in. Don't check out. Even if you're 99% doubt and 1% faith, go to home group. You know why? Because somebody in there, and then it won't be the person that you expect. It might not be somebody that's always got the word. It might be somebody that you think, they're kind of on hopeless street too. And they say something and you go, Jesus is with me. Anybody ever been down that road before? Jesus is with I didn't feel like going to church. My husband and I fought the whole way. I wanted to throw my kid out the back window. We got here. We felt about as saved as the devil. And during the worship, Brooke smiled and, and it touched my heart. Anybody ever been to that church service before? Right. When the devil tells you no, that's the time to go. I amazed myself with... No, no. <laughs> Resur <laughs> Resurrection intersection, verse 37. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. I want to jump ahead, so I want to add it. Isn't it interesting the questions Jesus asked when they, he, sh he shouldn't be asking? Okay, they're out on the Galilee. They're out on the water. And these guys are expert fishermen. They catch fish all the time, right? Even when they don't, they'd say they do. And they're out there on the water. And here comes this gale force winds. The water's filling with, with uh, the, the boat's filling with water. And they are afraid they're going to drown. They are freaking out. And Jesus looks at them and asks the question that we'd all ask when we care for people. Why don't you have any faith? Why are you afraid? How about this one? You're a mom and dad with a 12-year-old little girl and she dies. And Jesus walks in and he goes, why are you guys crying? The audacity of such a question. I thought Jesus was kind and merciful and a little lamb. 
Jesus is Jesus. That's who Jesus is. I know you just came from where they crucified the one you thought was the great teacher and prophet, but I want to ask you this question. Why do you look like you lost your best friend? Why are you so downcast? When you see through a resurrection lens, the clarity of your questions intensify. When we see death as a death and don't see ourselves under the grace canopy of Messiah, when we lose sight that we're being protected even in the valleys by the great shepherd who never takes his eyes off us, we lose our sight and we lose our hope. But here's the truth of resurrection. Point three. Anything we die to in the path of trusting Messiah is enlarged in expansion of kingdom life. Enlarged, not lost. Exponentially advanced, not lost. But until the resurrection intersection happens for us, and a lot of times it doesn't happen the way we want it to. We want Jesus to show up in full Jesus garb. And he shows up in the least of these. Or he shows up in situations that we weren't expecting and we wanted it another way and that's the way he comes. And it's a resurrection intersection. Jesus said unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. He was saying when I die and it looks like a death, the glory of God is going to explode exponentially beyond Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the far islands of the earth. Come on. Hmm. It's powerful. Anything we die to in the path of trusting Messiah, anything that we feel like we are giving up, that is called by God to give up, we are actually enlarging our lives in the kingdom exponentially. And in the moment, Unless we have a resurrection lens, we'll think we're losing. We're actually winning. Who will die in this hour, in this generation? Who will die to their plans so others can come to life in his plan? Final point. Every kind of death now that seems like a death, every kind of death now will always be swallowed up in some kind of victory even the ultimate one. I love how Paul describes resurrection. These phrases, I love them. Clothed in life. Another one, swallowed up in victory. Another one, quicken your mortal body. And my favorite, transformed into his likeness, like his glorious body. That's where we're going. That's what's going to happen. And you want a guarantee of that? Paul says, believe, when you believe the good news, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who becomes the guarantee of the inheritance of resurrection someday, right? And you and I have the Holy Spirit in us if Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Jesus is standing at a funeral of his friend and he's getting ready to cancel it. And he looks at his dead friend's sister and says, you know, your brother will rise and live. And she goes, yes, I know. I grew up in the Baptist church, and I'm a Bible-believing Christian. And I know that every believer, she gave him a theological statement, will rise again on, on the last day. And she says, Martha, you don't have to wait till then. 
I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who clings to me in faith, even though they die, will live forever. And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. When my friend Susan lifted her arms and my buddy Clay held her in his arms in the last minutes of her life, and he said, Susan, this is what we've lived for. You're about to see the king. And she just started saying, praise you, Jesus, until she couldn't breathe anymore on this side and took the greatest breath of glory over there. You know, Paul actually said to die is gain. So what do we do? Because he died on the cross and rose again, you and I can be born again at the foot of that cross. We can be standing there like that Roman centurion or like the thief that was on the one. That day, today you'll be with me in paradise. Surely this man was the son of God, right? What do you do? You renew your faith by affirming his kingship over your life in real worship. I didn't say real morality, but worship. Holy morality is something that is birthed in the life of someone that isn't who just begins to worship Jesus as king. And this, the Holy Spirit. Jesus, risen from the grave. They've done the touch, my hands and my side. He, they watched him eat a piece of fish. And then he says, look, I'm going to send the promise of my Father upon you, but wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. It was Thursday morning. I was sitting uh, in, a, in, in, my, in a room and I was uh, praying about this message and I heard the Holy Spirit say, Tim, it's time that you and your brothers and your churches all over begin to gather in the house and say, come Holy Spirit until you're clothed in fresh clothes of power, until you're renewed in power from on high. I want everyone in this room to stand. Stay with me because I've got some more things to say, but I want you to stand. If you need to be at the cross, saying like the centurion, surely he is the son of God. In a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. I remember, I remember my son Devin. I walked into his bedroom after we came home from seeing the passion of the Christ. He was 13 years old. Dev, I remember you were in your bedroom sitting on the floor absorbing the moment and the meaning of that movie. And you were teared up, and you were moved so deeply, and you looked at me and you said, Dad, he did that for me. He did that for me. I'm so thankful that my son, by the grace of God, has never lost that. Well, Dev, and people like you, and people who have had that moment, I've had a moment like that, many, I believe he's coming to us again, and he's going to breathe fresh anointing on us to greatly enhance the fervor and the passion of that moment under the cross. Are you with me? If you know that, that you had a desire to worship him 24-7, and because of some things that contradict what you think God's about and what you think God was going to do, and it's not there, and you, you're hitting a wall of mystery, and you're on I don't understand avenue, 
I'm here to say today that there's a fresh visitation of power if you'll give God a chance, if you'll keep inviting Jesus into the inn with you. When he was standing before them, the resurrected Son of God, even for Thomas, to touch the hands and put his finger in the side, after that it says he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, on the day of Pentecost, 40 days later, they would receive the power of the Holy Spirit. What was he doing? He was, listen, listen, this is where we're going. He was prepping them for a future visitation. This morning, I've been led by the Holy Spirit as a man of God under the authority of the Lord to to symbolically, and this is just symbol, I don't have nothing, man. I have no power, I got no righteousness, I got no nothing. It's only by His mercy that He put me in this place, only His mercy. I want to breathe symbolically and say to you, receive the Holy Spirit, and let's by faith in that anticipatory moment receive it. Receive the Holy Spirit. Not from me, from him. It says that if you receive somebody in the name of him, you receive him, not the somebody. If you receive a preacher in the name of a preacher, you receive a preacher's reward. But if you receive the Lord through a preacher, you receive the Lord's reward. (sighs) Receive the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you what the Lord spoke to my heart, and this goes out as some, I don't know what I, who I am or what that means, but I'm just telling you what God said to me. Not many days from now, whoever you are, and there's a lot of you, not many days from now has he promised them, you are going to be visited in that moment, and you'll be clothed again with power from on high, from heaven, from on high. Just like Samuel visited David, the Lord is going to come and visit you with his horn filled, brimming over with the oil of his presence, and you're never going to be the same again. <sighs> He's prepping you for it right now. Some of you right here in this place, like, a, like Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was martyred, she said, at Bethlehem, he became God with us. At the cross, he became God for us. And then with the coming of the Spirit, he became God in us. Right where you are, I ask you to lift your hearts and your hands, even if you're hopeless. Lift them up. Are you ready? I'm going to pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. All through the live stream audience, break the seal of the horn of anointing and breathe upon us. And prepare the way for these, for me, for all to be clothed right now and for a coming moment promised by you. Save people in this room today as they say to you, Jesus, I believe truly you are the Son of God. Whoever is saying that right now, may the power of the gospel come in your life with power and much assurance. And those who are saying, come Holy Spirit on this Resurrection Sunday, may the Lord give you new birth into a living, undying hope because of the resurrection of the dead in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen.